unidentifiable flying object. UFO continues to be a mystery. Wasn't alone in space. Sightings of UFOs. Something out there. Close enough to be observed. What could it be? It could only be one thing. A UFO. Hey everybody, welcome to UFO No, the show where we separate science fact from science fiction and try to do the best that we can to unravel the mystery that is alien conspiracy and UFOs, yeah? I'm joined by my friend Blind Mike. Hi guys, again. And uh, I got a very special guest today, Uh, but before we get uh, started here, I want to thank everybody for listening, give a few shout outs. Uh, Damon, thank you very much. And Bob, thank you very much. And of course, our wonderful uh, first fan ever, El Nino. Thanks very much for listening. Remember, uh, go on Facebook, share us. We got a little Facebook page, uh, UFO No Podcast, and then uh, you can uh, share, like, and subscribe you can you know wherever you're finding your podcast wherever you're listening to me right now if you can give us a little review please do or just follow us subscribe however but uh also text me 208-790-8226 i want to believe i just want to get your feedback let's have a convo yeah uh so anyways i am joined by a wonderful new friend that i'm very excited to talk about mark bennett what's up man how are you Hey, great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Oh, man, thanks for being here. I'm super, super stoked to talk to you. So um, you are over in London, correct? Yes, that's right. Yeah. And uh, so you are, um, you're really into alien conspiracy, spirituality, kind of how that all connects. You want to expand on that, kind of what you do, your background a little bit? Yes, sure. I I mean... uh... I am interested in, in, in certainly in aliens and also in conspiracies. It doesn't mean to say, though, of course, that I believe all of the uh, alien conspiracies that I hear. In fact, I'd say probably most of them I either don't believe or at least am very skeptical of. Um, but the, the bottom line is, and the most important thing, is that the uh, phenomenon of extraterrestrial visitation is, as far as I'm concerned, extremely real. Uh, and this is becoming more and more mainstream, I'm happy to say. I've been absolutely amazed. I've been working in this field now uh, full-time for uh, 17 years. Wow. And even in that time, which is not a, you know so very long in the big scheme of things, even in that time, certainly in this country, in England, uh, things have really improved in terms of people's openness and willingness to be logical about it. How has it improved, uh, if that, you don't mind oh, me asking? Sorry. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. How, how has it improved? I'd say you can, um, well, for example, one thing that, I'm, I'm not going to say this will never happen again, I'm sure it will, unfortunately, but it seems to have got better is one thing, when there was ever a a UFO sighting and somebody would say, well, look, the only thing this could have been really is an extraterrestrial spacecraft because of the way it moved, credible witnesses, etc., whatever the evidence behind it is. And then some fairly idiotic journalist would say, well, couldn't there be a rational explanation? 
And this question always used to really wind me up because my answer is, yes, there is a rational explanation. The rational explanation is we are not alone in the universe and we're being visited. There is nothing irrational about this point of view. It's, it's not very understood. Uh, it's something that I think we're gradually getting more used to on this planet. But that doesn't mean it's irrational. It's far more irrational to presume that we are completely alone and that there's no higher life than us in the universe and that nothing or no one has ever come here to observe us. Well, and we even have mathematics to back that up with the Drake equation, correct? Well, I'm not familiar with that particular uh, equation, but I have seen various uh, uh theories of probability put forward yeah there's a, there's a good example actually of a, something that's changed is uh, uh, in my life well even in the last 17 years but even maybe started training a bit before that is um it's very unusual these days to meet someone who really doesn't believe in any alien life of any kind anywhere yeah whereas when i was growing up in the 80s and 90s, there were a lot of people who, who really believed that, including some supposedly, you know, very um, intelligent people who frankly should know better <laughs> um, because it is statistically uh, uh, absurd, quite frankly, when you, when you even have a, a tiny glimpse of the vastness of the universe. Now, uh, more of the challenge is you'll, you'll get people who are willing to believe that there's life way out there somewhere, but the idea that it might be aware of us is sort of another step for people to take. And the idea that it's actually contacted us or even is helping us, that's yet another step for people to take. But as time goes on, I find that people are... Um, more and more open to it, even if they're not, you know, even if the average man on the street might not be particularly interested or might be interested, who knows? Uh, but there's, there's not this sort of hostility to it. And when people, and unfortunately, I don't think England's probably very good in this regard, when people, um, unfortunately, particularly intellectual people, find the whole conversation rather amusing, um, my response really is, um, I don't want to be rude here, but I, I kind of feel a bit sorry for them, quite sure. frankly, because I think you're so out of touch. You're not only out of, uh, out of touch with the reality of the cosmos, but you're even out of touch with um, mainstream thinking. Yeah. Um, because scientists are increasingly saying, uh, that, you know, there must be something out there of some kind looking at planets where life like us might be, all this kind of thing. And all these things are very positive moves in the right direction. And, and, and people who haven't yet caught up with that, you know, really, I think they need to, um, I think they need to buck their ideas up, really, because this is, this is not just something to know about, like, do you have general knowledge about you know geography or something this is one of the most if not the most important issues of our time um imagine how life will change 
when eventually contact is made fully openly uh, beyond the disbelief of even the most hardened skeptic. Life is never going to be the same again for any of us, one way or another. And the more we start sort of mentally preparing ourselves for that, the better, I think. Oh, I absolutely agree. I I think uh, I think it, it, it's kind of a lack of imagination if you think about, you know, I, I like whether you fully believe something or not, the, the ability to at least speculate um, into that and kind of, you know, think about, well, what is what does that lead to? And, and because of this, what does that lead to? And what's the potentiality of this? I think all things are probable. I, if you look in daily life, I mean, even with, uh, I was talking to somebody about, you know, ocean life. Look at ocean life. The likelihood of something, even this, um, what, what is it, the bacteria that grows, that they found that grows in deep ice in Antarctica that's oh, also yeah, on Mars? yeah, the stuff that's blood red. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, you know, the the if you would have thought the possibility of that, if you talk to most people, they'd say, no, that's not possible. Well, it is. It actually exists. Yeah. Similar thing. Well, I think that's a very good point. I mean, when you look at the incredible variety of life on Earth that exists in extraordinary environments. Yeah. And I'm no expert on this, but um, I, I, I was told by... Uh, someone who knows more than I do anyway about this kind of thing, that, that there are still some life forms even on Earth where we don't really understand how they can exist in that environment. Um, if that is true, I, I could find it perfectly believable. Now, if we can see these, you know, very, to us, weird sea creatures living in these incredible conditions, it's, it makes it much easier to uh, theorize about what life might be like on other planets. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And other planets, as we know, they generally have, you know, certainly different environments, but a lot of times very harsh environments. And we found life forms in extremely harsh environments. And in fact, you know, environments that humans could not possibly live in. Uh, and so that's it really opens your mind to the possibility of, of what really is out there. And uh, so how did you, you know, you said you've been doing this for 17 years. How did you get started? Um, well, it all started um, one evening uh, when I was 14 and watching, well, discussing with my parents what to watch on TV. And this was in 1994, and there wasn't a whole lot of choice in England at that time. We only had four channels. <laughs> and uh, my mother suggested we watch a program about the planet Venus, mm. which I was very surprised about because my mother has never, well, had never really expressed any particular interest in astronomy or anything like that. But she was really, really keen um, that we watch this program. And it was a Horizon documentary. Mm. And it was quite interesting, and it went through various uh, scientific viewpoints about um, uh, Venus, and I don't really remember a great deal about it, except for one very significant segment where they featured the organization that I now work for called the Ethereum Society. Um, and... Uh, their, well, I say there are beliefs, as it is now, our beliefs about life on Venus. And it was done quite well, the documentary. They didn't um, 
they didn't poke fun or really comment at all. They just let uh, the the interviewee, who was a, a guy, English guy, but living in LA, just let him I- explain the the Ethereum Society viewpoint about life on Venus, and moved on. Um, and I certainly wouldn't say that I was convinced by any means, um, but I was fascinated right from that moment. Uh, and from then, it's been a steady journey, which is uh, ongoing. I don't think the journey really ever ends. Um, and the what what you know, I think what struck me about it. Um, in the beginning was a bit like you, you, you just mentioned the, if you have an imagination, you can conceive of not just of things that do not exist, but of things that might exist. Yeah. You're not so bound by, um, you know, just thinking because it's conventional to think that way. And the Ethereum Society's viewpoints about life on Venus are certainly very unconventional um, and might have seemed on a superficial level to be unscientific, but actually are not unscientific. They're just sort of outside of the realm uh, of what science currently understands. Mm. So if I can elaborate on that, we don't believe that um, if NASA flew to uh, flew a spacecraft to, to Venus tomorrow with some astronauts in it, uh, that if these astronauts got out, they'd sort of walk about and find um, Venusians who were walking and talking and buildings uh, and what have you. They wouldn't. What they would find, I don't really know. That's more a job for the scientists. Uh, to, to, to expound on that, and I'd be very interested to hear what they say. Um, but that's not what we're about in the Ethereum Society. Our belief in life on Venus is that it exists at a higher frequency of vibration. So it, it, is, um, it does not exist on this plane, uh, on this plane that we live on, on this Earth. They could, because they're very advanced, they could lower their vibration and manifest themselves at virtually any vibration they wished to, Um, whether they would if NASA scientists landed, I I think would be very doubtful, quite frankly. I would not expect them to. Um, So our point of view is not... We're not saying that the science is all wrong and that astronomers are all wrong about Venus. It's just there's this kind of equation which is a level of science which is probably, well, definitely hundreds of years, probably thousands of years or even tens of thousands of years into the future where we can detect these realms, these these these. Uh, planes of of different vibration, different frequencies of vibration. Uh, And these these planes are physical. This is not some sort of airy-fairy, nebulous kind of thing. These planes are just as physical uh, as our lives here, or maybe even more so in certain respects. But it's uh, it's a higher type of life because the civilization on Venus is so much more advanced than we are spiritually 
and technologically, and there's no difference to them between spirituality and science. And nor should there be on this earth, in that both are supposedly at least the quest for truth. So if they disagree, you know, like real strong contradiction, it means that either one or the other or both are wrong. So they don't have that distinction. Uh, their only religion and their only science is truth. Yeah. Well, and it really, you know, we, me and Mike talk a lot about energy and how energy translates into all these different terms and meanings um, to all these different people and, and their beliefs. And so like we, you know, we were talking to, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Wajid Hassan, but yes, we, we've, we've met a few times. That's awesome. We had him on our show uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, he told us all about, you know, um, spiritual realms and was talking a lot about um, the same concepts that you are. And so we had mentioned, um, string theory as a comparison to what scientists have translated that theory into is string theory. The idea that there are all these multiple realms or universes or dimensions that are strung together through one energy, but they're all in different realms of frequency. Yeah. Yeah, that was the more interesting part for me, actually, because in Wajid's theory, there were 11 circles there, 11 different realms, and that is the same proposal as string theory, is there's 11 realities occupying the same space spread through different frequencies. Exactly. So that's what we had done, is we had kind of looked at, you know, what science, like you had said, you know, it's regardless of who's right and who's wrong, if you look at the theories that are in place right now, that the, the ones that compare most to that are is string theory, or the multiverse theory, things like that. Yeah, I think these uh, this type of way of thinking is you know, a very positive step forward. Unfortunately, I'm not really qualified to understand uh, string theory. I, I did try to, to, to look into it a bit when I was at university, talking to people who are much cleverer and more knowledgeable than I am. And I, I quickly realized that it was going to take me years to even get my head around the basics. So um, I'm happy to sort of appreciate um, the, uh, you know, the, the input of, of experts in this regard. And it does all sound very promising. Um, but I think, um, I still think we've, pro I mean, it's just a, it's just a gut instinct, I'm afraid, but I still think we've got a real long way to go mm, okay. before we really get our heads around what, what, you know, what these other planes of existence are. Well, and, you know, along with that is, you know, I, I love the, the, the idea that, you know, we, our ancient civilizations, our ancestors may not have had the technology that we have now, the, the external technology that we, you know, we associate with advanced, um, you know, being advanced race or, or society now. But I think they had a connection to spirituality and to nature, to the natural elements and energies of Earth that allowed them to communicate with the world around them in a way that we won't ever understand that, that, that 
concept of energies and and uh, you know all lining together that they had a handle on that they could read their environment through energy and be be able to manipulate it in some cases i mean do you what do you think about the theory that you know they, there's a lot of these things you know about like oh well that's how they built the pyramids was through vibration you know they there was thousands of people all humming at the same time um, that created vibration that lifted the blocks and put them in place. There's also, of course, theories of of aliens assisting in building the pyramids. Um, or and then there's theories of just that they were, you know, that civilizations were bestowed uh, technology that allowed them to do these things, but then were wiped out for some reason. So, you know, where do you land on? Do you do you kind of have a viewpoint on that about about potentially um, that this the energies that are ancient ancestors had that we still could have access to today, but we're, we're so externalized now. Yes, absolutely. I think it's, it, it's a very interesting subject. Um, but I think that there's definitely spiritual knowledge, which uh, has been lost and even spiritual abilities, which have been largely, uh, if not entirely lost yeah. uh, through the ages. Uh, it's a very big topic actually. Um, but looking at it in the way, you know, how is that relevant to us rather than us just sort of sitting around and thinking, well, isn't it sad? <laughs> um, actually, uh, we will regain these things and more besides. Um, there is, um, in, in our belief system, uh, through the, 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 the wisdom of Dr. George King, who founded the Ethereum Society, and even perhaps even more so through his contacts with extraterrestrial beings, um, we understand that um, no no uh, no person, no life stream is ever lost forever. Uh, there's no such thing as eternal damnation. Um, there's such a thing as failure. There's such a thing as falling. Um, all this kind of thing, certainly. But everyone can uh, get back on the right track. It may take one life. It may take many lives. A lot of how long it takes is down to the effort of the individual involved. Um, but no life stream is ever completely lost. So at the moment, um, Yes, there's a lot that we, we have probably, well, I'm sure that we have lost uh, as, a, as, as the human race, uh, but we will get it back. Uh, we will get our, our, our psychic abilities back. We will uh, get our knowledge back and, and not only get it back, but progress even beyond where we ever were before. How long that takes is entirely up to us. If, for example, um, well, actually, there's a there's a very good communication uh, given by an extraterrestrial, or two extraterrestrials actually, one from the higher planes of Venus and one from the higher planes of Mars, given through Dr. George King while he was in a uh, positive somatic trance state, and the the series of transmissions is entitled "Give Us a Sign," and it starts off with words to the effect of. People on Earth are always saying, well, give us a sign, whether it's they're religious people or people who believe in aliens and UFOs. People want a sign. 
Yeah. And the extraterrestrial response to this was twofold. Is one is we've given loads of signs. We have given enough signs so that the open-minded person could believe in the truth of our existence, of, of their existence, that is to say. But the more sort of subtle and more interesting point, to me anyway, is they say, well, hang on, how about you give us a sign? Give us a sign that if we landed and shared our technology, that you would use this for good and that you wouldn't use it like you use most technology, it would seem, you know, for war and greed and all the horrible things that go on every day on this planet. So if, I know that this is going to happen, unfortunately, but it could, theoretically at least, if everyone on Earth, on Earth or even the vast majority of people on Earth, um, suddenly changed, suddenly not became supermen or even super spiritual, but just resolved to stop killing each other, we said to ourselves, you know, we're going to make the effort. We'll make mistakes along the way, but we're going to really try. And if you land, we're going to follow your advice. We're going to live in peace. Uh, and we're going to pull ourselves together, basically. If, if mankind on Earth did that, I think they would probably land within days. So you think that the reason why they haven't, that they, that, I mean, because I, I, you know, I want to believe, but I just, I'm kind of one of those guys, I got to see something. But so you, you believe that the reason that they have not landed is because mankind is not ready. That is certainly one aspect of it, yeah. There will come a time when they land whether we're ready or not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in the sense that um, I'm just trying to think of how to really condense this right down. It's not all just about us. In fact, more important than us is the planet as an entity. The Earth is not just a lump of rock floating in space. The Earth is uh, a being, a conscious, sentient being. In fact, far more conscious and far more sentient than we can even imagine. Um, this is not the Gaia hypothesis, but I think it was James, Sir James Lovelock. Um, that's, uh, it's great. It's great. I, I mean, insofar as I'm capable of understanding it, it sounds great, his hypothesis, but um, this goes much further. Than now, that. now, what's the hypothesis that you're talking about? It's, well, as I say, I'm afraid I'm not really qualified to, 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 to explain it, but it's basically, I think, that life on Earth or the various uh, life forms on Earth seem to interact such that the whole planet is a living entity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it's known as the Gaia hypothesis, and I think there's a lot of very good stuff in it, but it is not. Um, it doesn't go far enough yeah, as far as we are concerned. I see. Uh, in terms of uh, the Earth being, um, you know, a great spiritual master. Yeah. Um, the Earth is. Um, you know, can you, I mean, can you imagine if you saw, for example, 
uh, a great orb of light that was um, or an ovoid of light of about 30 feet tall, which apparently is at least sometimes the form that a Saturnian would take. Mm. Now, that would be a pretty awe-inspiring sight, wouldn't yeah. it? 30-foot tall ovoid of light <laughs> or thereabouts, maybe even more. Mm. Now, imagine then how much more awe-inspiring is the idea that our whole planet, this is a lot more than 30 feet, yeah, it is an entity. Yeah. Um, and that is, in fact, the case. And there's one thing that uh, Dr. George King used to say a lot was that the the holiest thing that we've ever touched on Earth is the ground beneath our feet, because it is a manifestation of the physical form of this great spiritual being who is uh, countless millions of lives more advanced than we are. So um, she she is uh, the planet, uh, which is a, a female entity. She is um, very much limiting herself, limiting her potential to keep her vibrations down so that we can live here. Uh, she could release her full glory, her full spiritual potential, and enjoy the uh, initiation that she received um, in 1964 uh, to, to go to a, an even higher level of spirituality. And she chooses not to release uh, the full potential of her energies, because if she did, we would, ha we, we would be, in effect, cosmic vagrants. Um, quite where we'd go uh, in the immediate term, I, I simply don't know. But we couldn't stay here. Yeah. Um, and she has limited herself for uh, millions of years for our sake. Uh, there must, according to karmic law, come a time when she is not allowed to suffer this anymore, even if she wants. I mean, she'd carry on forever, it would seem, because it seems that there is no limit to her patience. That's how advanced she is. But because of the law of karma, um, she, she will not be allowed to sacrifice herself forever. So uh, there will come a point when, ready or not, um, at least one or more extraterrestrial being uh, will land uh, on Earth and we'll have to either change our ways or, or leave the planet. Yeah. Well, do you, do you believe now you believe that, okay, so Mother Earth is just that, a, a being, a caring, nurturing being. So do you believe that other planets are also these nurturing beings that... Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Okay. They, they, they are. And it's um, the relationship between the, the planet and the race on that planet is an extremely important one. Um, it, it's uh, probably the most important relationship there is, actually. Um and on an advanced planet like Venus, for example, the beings on Venus, they certainly don't um, 
you know, pollute the planet or drop bombs or, you know, blow up mountains or, or, or all the ridiculous things that we do on Earth, that they're, they're far above that. On the contrary, they work with, we call it the Logos, the intelligence. They work with the Logos of the planet uh, yeah. in harmony um, where they... Um, they learn a great deal uh, from the Logos, and it's a complete, completely harmonious uh, relationship of spiritual evolution. And that will one day exist upon Earth. Or if it doesn't, as far as we're concerned, then we will not be here. So are you familiar with a gentleman by the name of Paul Laviolette and his theory oh, of... Could you uh, that name, please? That's Paul Laviolette, I believe, is it not, Mike? Laviolette. 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 Not Laviolette. Laviolette. No, I'm sorry. Anyway, whatever the pronunciation, I'm afraid I, I don't know anyone. <laughs> well, he, the name similar to that. Yeah, he's kind of a... I mean, I, I haven't seen a whole lot about him either. We happen Call to him stumble upon him. Theoretic scientist. Theoretic scientist who um, he has claims to have what discovered a new type of physics that uh, it's just that our physics that we use now is incomplete uh so he proposes portions of it that are wrong and portions of it that had not been fully answered uh into and refers to his version as subquantum kinetics and it explains a a deeper i would say a deeper under belly of physics that's a terrible way to describe it uh it's uh, it's not a cd mob group it's you know it's <laughs> it's uh it's it's this new physics where he's he's explaining space travel can be you know expedited um or expedited all these things and uh he claimed okay now go into the the wave theory that the he's super got. wave theory yeah okay. the super wave theory it is a theory that is apparently happened to the planet multiple times and it's just a wave of cosmic rays coming from somewhere uh in the center of our galaxy here and that when it hits it's kind of a judgment day like situation as we as a whole will have to collectively link if you will our consciousness to uh repel this wave or it's going to drastically change the weather uh basically making it uninhabitable for us uh, altogether so kind of a scientific explanation of the raising of vibrations almost uh, like the great awakening kind of a kind of a a thing kind of cuz he rather than carbon dating he has gone to a chemical dating system looking in the glaciers that shows that it has happened and it's real loose math as is carbon dating uh i don't care how accurate they claim it is they don't know uh so he goes down so he says anytime coming as of what was it april 2020 to sometime within the next several hundred years is when he's expecting this to hit and that it would, if we are to survive it, it would kind of be all of humanity focusing its energies and conscious state on this beam at the same time to kind of link together to survive, kind of give an almost hive mind 
state of thinking, like our consciousness, our spirituality, our energies would all intertwine, ascending us to a next level to be able to survive this. Because if we don't, it's taken us out. So that's kind of what I think about when, and I have to have Mike explain it because I'm terrible, but uh, that's kind of what I think about when I, when I listen to these theories, you know, that, that about, you know, earth and, and how, you know, we got to get our poop in a group or we're going to, you know, not be able to, we're going to get kicked out of the apartment. So, uh, you know, does that kind of play a part in, does that, you know, because like I said, we like to kind of play around with these other theories that, like you had said, science puts these labels on it, but then spirituality, you know, all these other things, these greater universal concepts are like, well, but that's a cute way to describe it, but actually it means this. So does that mean anything in, in the realm of what you're talking about? Well, I can certainly re- relate to elements of it. Um, I think... Um you know, I think we have to remember, though, that, you know, we're just, um, our civilization is not really that old, uh, not really that advanced. And um, it's perfectly healthy, of course, um, to, to um, you know, for our, our, our scientists to, 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 to try to understand uh, the, the universe in a very kind of, left brain way uh, nothing against that but it is i think we need to maintain a certain degree of humility that you know we there's just so much that we don't know and cannot really know from conventional science or mathematics Mm -hmm. um the if we really want to advance um on this planet we will have to learn to go within. And obviously, you know, meditating for inner peace and, and well-being and all that is great. But I mean something even a bit more than that. I mean, really, um, really going within, deep within, where in a, um, uh, a highly advanced meditative state, which would take years, if not lives, to achieve, um, you gain a conscious union with um, an aspect of divine spirit. And in that state, you have virtually unlimited knowledge. Um, And this is, um, you know, obviously to us, this just seems like spirituality, maybe even a bit far-fetched as spirituality. Um, But to the beings on other planets, this is, intimately related to science because it is um a lot of they're 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 completely logical people they have nothing against logic whatsoever in fact they're vastly more logical than we are but at the same time they have this um very intuitive approach as well where and i don't mean by intuition just sort of what you feel on that day according to your emotions i mean intuition in the sense of really going to this all-knowledge space within you. Uh, and it is there uh, that you can um, you know, gain, gain a sense of direction and the, the, the real answers to these questions. In, and that will actually help your logical faculty uh, at this uh, high level. And it will also help you to, in your sense perception, to they, of course, all have psychic abilities, 
So, I mean, you imagine these three things, you know, an incredible sense of logic that would even put Spock to shame <laughs> uh, on the one hand, then this very spiritual inward approach on the other, uh, and then this uh, really, real, uh, really heightened senses um, so that, you know, when they looked at something, they would not just see what you and I see, um, they would, you know, see the aura of whatever person or being or even object it was. They would see the etheric record of that being's history, maybe going back thousands of years. Mm. So they, they really have access to, 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 to true knowledge, whereas our scientists, all due respect to them, I mean, they may be very, very clever and they may be, on, uh, maybe genius is really on the right track in certain regards, but they are still um, just working with basic mathematics mm. by and large, if not yeah. entirely. Well, and, you know, there is, um, I had talked to Wajid a little bit on the previous episode. Like I said, I mean, it's because uh, I, I really didn't know that you guys were uh, associated anyway as far as like being a part of the you know the same society and really um kind of having the same ideas and and beliefs so that's incredible well, but george king being his master. george king exactly so um it's really amazing to to me that you know i talked to wajid a little bit about psychedelics um but the one thing i didn't because you know he was pretty adamant about that that you know psychedelics are um you know, a very uh, cheapened and uh, dangerous and uncontrolled way to experience these enlightened states. And so, but there is a lot of evidence that points towards psychedelics being used in the ancient world um, to, you know, things like ayahuasca uh, to bring about these... Um, enlightened states to enhance communication with their beliefs and, and allow these enlightened states to gain knowledge. Um, do your feelings differ in that way? Or are you pretty much along the same lines? Like so don't do psychedelics because it, it's not going to be the same. What can CBD really do for you? Relieve anxiety, ease pain. Hi, this is Ben with Clarkston CBD Company. We specialize in CBD, making it simple and easy to find the perfect CBD blend for you. Talk to us about your health goals and learn how CBD works in the body and how it can benefit you. Come in today or call ahead for pickup or delivery. 208-790-8226. We specialize in CBD. Clarkston CBD Company, 408th Street across from Walmart. Stay healthy. If you really want to make lasting spiritual progress uh, in a safe and positive way, you'll have to do it without psychedelics. Yeah. I think that probably the way that it used to go in those old cultures would be possibly someone that had achieved the spiritual enlightenment trying to explain it to someone who has no spiritual well, certainly. enlightenment. And, and that, that's Take the, these psychedelics, you'll yeah. get that taste. Now, if you spend your life training like I have, you can achieve that long-term. Exactly. And that's a lot of times what you had, is you had a spiritual guide who had spent his entire life 
getting to that point, and now he wanted to share that in a quickened way, uh, an easier way potentially, with all these other people to give them these enlightened um, states so that way they could gain a peace of this knowledge. See that it was possible. Certainly. Because, you know, a lot of times when you life. talk about a DMT experience, mm-hmm. um, and look, I'm not advocating for psychedelic use, mm-hmm. but I, I think that it's important to understand, you know, when we're talking about these various degrees of enlightenment, that it is very intriguing that 90% of DMT experiences end with uh, or or result in being in a heightened realm mm-hmm. or a heightened state of enlightenment talking to beings of light that seem to pass on as if you're open and willing to the experience to pass on a message or an answer and and most of the time the commonality of that message is one of peace and one of understanding your world and bringing it back to nature. So to me, it's very interesting to think that, you know, you have a, a spiritual uh, belief that says to, to understand the true nature of things, you have to be in this enlightened state. Mm-hmm. And you have a compound that seems to, that is also naturally produced by the brain. And it seems to be other parts of the body as well. Um, that seems to give or provide a doorway to this enlightened state and that the majority of people that come out of this come out with the same message that you are also um, advocating for, which is one of peace and understanding, connection with the universe, that this reality that we're not in or that we're in isn't real reality, that reality is much, much greater and beyond what we see and what we hear and and touch so Hmm. i I just find it fascinating to think that you know whether like i said i'm not advocating for psychedelics i'm not even saying that this is the right way to do it but i just think that it is interesting to think that we contain in our own bodies this compound that seems to allow access to what you're talking about Well, it reminds me a little bit in rather a different way of a story. Um, I don't know if you've come across the book, Autobiography of a Yogi. Mm-mm. And if not, I really recommend it. It's one of the first spiritual books I read as a teenager. Um, nothing to do with the Aetherius Society uh, per se, uh, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's one, of our, one of the favorites amongst our members, I would say. Um, It's written by um, a uh, yogi who went from India uh, to the United States uh, to promote yoga philosophy uh, and did a fantastic job uh, in that. Um, A very great man, I think. um, And he uh, recounts in his autobiography, it's a great read, by the way, I mean, even if even if you don't believe a word of it, it's a great read. Lots of fantastic stories. I do believe it, or at least the, at least the essence of it and the vast majority of it, certainly, I would say, I, I believe. Um, he, he, he recounts a story there where, um, talking about a taste of the experience, he lived uh, in an ashram with a genuine spiritual master called Sri Yukteswar, 
who gave him, it's called Shaktipat, uh, when you, you um, convey a state, um, a heightened state to your student. Mm. Um, and that's just what he had. He had a taste. If taste, it seems a bit of a silly word, taste for something so great. But a peak. But he a had peak. A, a kind of yeah. sample experience of cosmic consciousness mm. due to, um, through the grace of his spiritual master, that was. And he describes this in the book, and it's, it's very beautiful. It's very consciousness expanding just to read it, mm. I think. Uh, and it... Um, it gives you a, a sense of the potential we have. Now, um, the name of the, the, this, 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 uh, uh, the, the, the person who wrote the book is um, Paramahansa Yogananda. Mm. And uh, if you just Google autobiography of a yogi, you'll, you'll find him very quickly. Okay. Um, and he, he had this experience, he recounted it, but he wasn't, um, as far as I'm aware anyway, uh, able to, um, he was very advanced, but not advanced like a master, like a true master, in that he couldn't induce this state within himself at will. He was dependent on his, but now he was still very advanced, very pure to be able to receive it at all, because probably if that master gave uh, some idiot like me, that kind of experience. I, I don't know if I'd be able to take it <laughs> at all. That's how I, I might feel. go start raving mad. I, I don't know how I'd react, but I certainly don't think I'd be ready for it. Um, if he was to give it to me now. Uh, so there you have, you know, one, one, I think one mistake people make about spiritual advancement is I think it's very underestimated. It's like somebody does a little bit of meditation here and there and they say, oh yeah, I feel everything's great now. I feel at peace. I feel in the now. Well, you know, I'm happy for you that you're happy, but that's not cosmic consciousness. <laughs> yeah. Cosmic consciousness is an extremely intense state of being that takes lives, incarnation after incarnation of sacrifice, dedication, hard work. And yes, it is a tremendous state of peace and bliss and ecstasy, but it entails, um, you know, a great deal of suffering along the way and great strength of character, um, the like of which is is virtually alien to to ordinary people like us, well, certainly alien to me. I, I, mm. I, and I would, I, with all due respect to you, Ben, I would doubt that you'd had this very elevated experience in its entirety. Oh, yeah. um, this is something that happens, I don't know, I mean, a few times at most in a generation, I think. And George King was one person who I do believe had this experience. Another, I would say, is fully consciously, that is another, I would say, is Swami Shivananda, um, uh, Swami Vivekananda, going a little bit further back, uh, Ramakrishna in the, in, the, uh, in the 19th century, as I recall. So, you know, I mean, there are a few of these people around now and again, if we even know of their existence, but this is an extremely rare thing. Uh, and we should not underestimate 
just how far there really is to go in spiritual evolution. So, oh, go ahead, Mike. I just, I almost feel like that needs to be the takeaway is uh, scientists always think, oh, well, this is impossible. It's not real. Well, if it's happening few and far in between, that shows that it's possible, even if it's an anomaly that's happened only so every so often. You know, five and, you know, 60 billion people, it, it still happens. Yeah. It's I think still, that's, uh, I think that's ego. Exactly. It's is not involved if you that you're say not 100% right. That's not possible. I think that's a lot of ego and arrogance to, to say that because, you know, every, every day, I see something or learn something or, or hear something or see something that I didn't see the previous day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to, to say, well, that's not possible, I think is, is incredibly arrogant and egotistical <laughs> to think that, you know, that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and so that's why I, I, you know, I don't uh, subscribe to any one thing. I think it's all probable. And, and like I said, I, I think uh, it's amazing that uh, that everybody puts different labels on it. But yes, absolutely. I mean, there's a, a story just came to mind. I remember watching quite incredulously. Actually, I mean, some, sometimes I, I like science and I like to believe in science. And sometimes people who are supposed to be so, I, I feel quite let down, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was one guy, um, I forget who he was exactly, but he was a recognized academic at a university, and he was commenting on somebody's uh, UFO sighting, and it was a very good UFO sighting. Uh, I, as I recall, the, the craft had actually landed. Uh, it was more than just a light far off in the sky. And this um, academic's viewpoint was he, he said, well, the thing is that this man has no qualifications in identifying extraterrestrial craft. Which is an arrogant statement. Who does? Well, who really? does? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody. And then Unless he himself said words to that effect. It's like, well, actually, you know, nobody has qualifications in this. Well, if, if you have to have qualifications in something before you can identify it, that would mean that no one could ever see something new <laughs> ever. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is, it is the most unscientific approach to anything I've ever heard. It is the death knell of innovation. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'll call it, a piss-poor scientist, because uh, if you don't go into <laughs> I mean, it with well, an open mind, what do you plan to achieve? Really, you know, I mean, it was just, he even looked, towards the end of it, he even looked a bit embarrassed himself. Mm. I, don't know, I, I don't know if someone was... You know, putting pressure. Camera on. guy in the background, oh, just like, nah, nah, dude, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very arrogant standpoint. You know, it's it's kind of like we we've talked before about how you know the U.S. Uh, well, a bunch of countries train astronauts for decades. You know, years upon years upon years to be the eyes and the ears and the brains of of the space program to come back with information of what they saw you know what they experienced what they did which and mind yet you here, that's what we call fact yeah and yet here they come back you know you talk about the earliest moon you know landings the earliest uh the earliest you know space race of the astronauts coming back with all these experiences that were immediately discredited because of all these reasons from, oh, well, the, the pressures of space and, you know, and this and that caused them to be delirious. And it's like, well, 
then what are all that? What's all that years of training for? Right. You you wanted all the rock samples they took. You took yeah. every other thing. We saw quasars. We saw this going on. We saw that going on. And they're like, oh, okay. Oh, absolutely. This is great stuff. And they're like, we were tailed by a spaceship. And they're like, all right, buddy. <laughs> now, who other than uh, an astronaut would be qualified to know exactly. what an alien ship looked like? They're on the closest thing to a ship we have. And if it doesn't look like ours, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, so that's, you know, that's it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing it, how many, how many astronauts have spoken publicly about their belief in alien life. Um, uh, there was one even quite recently who was talking about life, even not as we know it, mm. uh, that could even be among us without us detecting it. And that is very in line. Uh, with what uh, Dr. King said as a contactee for, for so many years, um, that, you know, the world is a much more, is a much richer place than we imagine. It isn't just what you can see in front of your nose that exists. And even on, you know, we talk about, you know, wondering about life on other planets. There's life on Earth on higher planes of existence. Yeah. Uh, but by and large, ordinary people in ordinary life that we don't have any contact with or any awareness of, but it doesn't mean it's not there. Mm -hmm. So what have you had any experiences that you would like to share that are, you know, something that, you know, clearly you have a viewpoint that allows you to, um, have have a view of all these different things that you could have seen. It, it would give you knowledge and 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 perspective into something that, like maybe me and Mike, if we saw the same thing, we'd be like, "What's that?" Well. You know. So, have you had anything that? Sure. Well, I think I think this is, this is an interesting topic because I think that if you're if you're really sincere and you're willing to go out of your way a bit, um, that you'll be given the proof that you require that uh, concords with your own psychological makeup. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, I, I am, it might not seem like it given my job, but I, I am in fact extremely skeptical. And if I uh, saw a UFO, I think um, even if I saw what was, you know, un I was wearing my glasses and I had a real good sighting and a, flying extraterrestrial craft i think i i think i'd still might doubt myself yeah. somehow um i'd be desperately trying to find you know well could there be any other explanation hopefully i'd come to my senses and realize that what i'd seen was exactly what i thought i'd seen if indeed i had seen that <laughs> but it, it's i don't think it's the kind of proof that would really work that well for me and i have never seen a ufo of any kind and I always think, well, yeah, I suppose it would be nice, but I'd much rather that someone else saw one of these craft mm -hmm. who didn't believe and, you know, who it could really help. Yeah. Right. Uh, whereas well, the kind of experience that I've had has been rather different to that. It's, um, it started when, um, I think, as I, you know, as I said to you earlier, I found the Ethereum Society when I was 14 and I, I started kind of getting into it when I was about 16 and I started doing um, the spiritual practices as taught by beings from other planets through George King and also taught by him as a master of yoga in his own right. 
And um, the main, I mean, the main essence of what, well, yeah, probably the main essence of what our membership do in the Ethereum Society is radiate spiritual energy, uh, sending out white light through um, the power of visualization, um, uh, putting a positive visualization on that uh, and bringing about change through it. This is, in essence, um, what prayer is all about. Prayer is not sort of knocking on heaven's door and asking God for a favor, hoping that he'll listen to you because you happen to be of the right religion or whatever it is. This is, this is, this is not how these things happen. It is, prayer is an entirely natural process. It is from a divine source, but divine, the divine source in the sense of, um, a universal spirit, for want of a better term, um, uh, rather than an old man on a cloud. Mm -hmm. So this radiation of energy, and now this energy is not physical in the way that, you know, your microphone in front of you is physical, but it is physical in the sense that it, it can be felt. Mm -hmm. And when I started these practices, I started feeling it a lot. I started feeling... Um, a pressure in my solar plexus and in my forehead a lot. And it, it, to such a degree, in fact, that it, it, it sort of interrupted my concentration when I was doing the practice and I didn't know what was going on. And it was only later that I discovered um, that this was in fact um, uh, the effect of this energy on the chakra in the solar plexus and the chakra in the forehead. And then um, a bit later, probably a bit later or around the same time, feeling this um, tremendously uh, tangible, definite uh, energy in my aura around me. Uh, I was thinking it's quite, quite nostalgic to think about it now. And this was not... This was not me wanting to believe. This was not me trying to feel it because I didn't even know I was meant to feel it. Mm. Uh, I, I, it was not in my on my radar in any way whatsoever. Um, and on the contrary, when I first felt it, I was like, you know, well, what what the hell is this? Mm. It wasn't exactly. Um, I mean, it wasn't painful, but it was uncomfortable. It's, yeah, sometimes a little. Uh, to be honest, um, it, it, it you know it didn't the, the discomfort didn't really last very long. But yes, there were elements of discomfort in the beginning. Um, I think exacerbated by the unfamiliarity, and you know if you don't understand something, it always seems a bit worse than it that maybe it is. Um, uh, you know, and as time grew on, and it didn't take long, you know, it became a very wonderful, very inspiring feeling. Um, to, to feel this energy flow. Because in my heart and mind, I felt uplifted. Mm -hmm. It was just this sort of physical pressure or uh, unfamiliar awareness. So this was great evidence to me that something really was happening. I knew it wasn't psychosomatic. I knew I wasn't <clears throat> trying to experience it. Um, and this is the kind of experience which only matters to the individual because I'm happy to share the experience, but it's no proof to you because I could have dreamt the whole thing up or be making it up. <laughs> well, and I, I can't even but, imagine the feeling that you would feel. So it would, it would be hard for me to put myself in your shoes for the experience. 
Well, it won't take you long if you try the teachings given by the masters before you experience these things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's not very difficult. Um, you just you don't even have to be a hard and fast believer. I would say you have to be open. Mm-hmm. I think I think if you're completely close to the idea, then I don't think you're really going to be open enough to to have that kind of experience. You might be able to have a different kind of experience, but not that kind. But if yeah. you're open, if you really want truth, and you want truth for the highest motive, which is so you can use that knowledge to help others and to help the world as a whole, then you know sooner or later you must get whatever proof you require. Mm-hmm. It's a it, it's an aspect of the law of karma. If you if your motive is right and you put the effort in. You will get whatever you need, not maybe what you want, mm-hmm. but what you need to succeed on the path. Uh, and that's been proven to me. And I haven't interviewed every single member of the Ethereum Society, but I've discussed it a lot with them. And everyone I've discussed this with would agree with me 100%. Uh, stories sometimes are similar, sometimes very, very different. And it's a question of, what that person really needs on their journey. So I think that's the one sort of takeaway I'd like to, to give from this, is if you really want truth and you really want it in order to make the world a better place, to just stick at it, to pray or use intention or whatever it is you want to do, to really demonstrate that sincerity, to... Uh, you know, to paraphrase what the Cosmic Master said through Dr. King, to give them a sign, you know, you will get the indication that you need. And one way, um, uh, one way which, you know, would, well, will definitely give you experience if you try it for a bit, um, is uh, to take part in the free online services uh, from our website where we radiate spiritual energy uh, out to bring about uh, world uh, peace and healing, which I was going to say especially needed at this time, but it seems like it's always needed. Yeah, when, always when needed. Quite frankly, yeah. um, but we're doing it more online at the moment for obvious reasons because of the way the world is. Yeah, uh, uh, and that's one, one good example of how you can turn a negative into a positive mm-hmm is, you know, we have these services broadcast pretty much every day. Um, And so if you just go to ethereus.org and click on the top uh, left of the big red banner, you can see our online world healing services. uh, uh, And every time you'll be taught through how to join it. It's very easy. You might not feel anything the first time or the second time, but usually it doesn't take very long. I'm not talking about years of intense yoga discipline. I'm just talking like a few times, a normal person, bit of concentration, open mind, good heart. You're, 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 you're pretty sure to feel something sooner or later. So I'll just spell that. Um, A-E-T for Tommy, H-O-R. I'm sorry, let me start again. I can't sure. spell the name of my own organization. It is a very <laughs> difficult <laughs> A serious. A-E-T for Tommy, H-E-R, 
iusforsugar.org. Cool. Well, you know, it's amazing because, you know, I, I, like I said, I think me and Mike are pretty open to all theories and beliefs and everything. I think, you know, once again, when you look at science, they, you know, they put a certain label on certain things. And because I do think science does have a little bit of a lack of imagination as far as everything they base everything on has to have some kind of physical if it's not measurable and quantified exactly which i mean that's the purpose of science is to measure and quantify but Mm -hmm. there is a level there where as we know the reason why science has progressed is from a certain imaginative few Mm. that have taken that the the scientific theories and expanded on that into realms that were beyond science and that's and so um i love the idea that you know technology eventually will get to the point that it's indistinguishable from magic which even if now even now certain things that we have if you talk to you know earlier versions of humans would be blown away it would be it would be Uh, beyond their comprehension as to how your you know manifesting images on a little square thing that you're carrying around with you. Um, you know, that would be more knowledge than the world had ever seen. The The power of Google. Well, <laughs> the power that you can virtually... Well, I mean, it's all a matter of, I guess, perspective, yeah, truth. You get, but yeah. the fact that you can, you can also look up different theories from different people mm. you can come to your the own conclusions access to the information. you can do the research in a in a fraction of the time mm. um to get the world's answers i like i said i think the labels are different but the theories the beliefs the ideas are very very similar that there is something else out there you know obviously like you had pointed out before you know humans they we want to be connected to something greater than ourselves um and certain people find that in science certain people find that in religion certain people find that in whatever but um it's very fascinating to think about all these different things potentially leading to the same answer you know, that's what I like. I like all these different avenues that everybody's calling it something different. Mm. Everybody's kind of following their, their own lines and of research and things. But, but it's all leading to the same answer, which is the universe, the universe, energy in the universe that is so much greater than us. We could we could not possibly fathom its power and therefore the tap mm. into that energy is to have power. I just love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's rad. Hey, Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank and I you, Ben. I would love to have time. you on again and pick your brain. And, and uh, sure. we're always digging into cool stuff. So, uh, so anyways, it's, it's uh, amazing to talk to you. Thank you again. Is there anything you want to shout out? How do people get a hold of you? Uh, well, we are based in, uh, I'm based in London, but we have a headquarters in uh, London and in Los Angeles. Uh, if you just go to the website, ethereus.org, you can find out our many locations around the world. My own website is markinfo.co.uk. So that's just M-A-R-K-I-N-F-O.co.uk. Uh, uh, you can email me from there. Uh, I'd be very happy to answer any questions that anyone has after this show. 
Right on. Mark, thank you so much. It has yeah, been a pleasure you. and a privilege. And uh, I just, it's, my mind is always expanded after I get to talk to some very awesome people. So thank you again very much. Thank you so much to you both. All the very best. Yeah. So once again, everybody, thank you for joining us on another fantastical episode of UFO No. Uh, I got another guest coming uh, here soon that's going to be, uh, I believe it's uh, Tony Russo. Yeah. Crazy story, guys. It's going to be awesome. Anyways, all about uh, cults, end of the world cults. It's going to be rad. Anyways, but um, thank you for listening. Make sure and go on Facebook, uh, share us, follow us, uh, UFO No Podcast, and uh, you can find us anywhere you get your favorite podcast. Give us a little subscribe a like. If you can review us, please do so. And then remember, um, while you're getting a hold of Mark, make sure and get a hold of me, uh, 208-790-8226. I want to believe some alien pictures, whatever you got. I want to see it. All right, everybody. Hey, thank you very much. Blind Mike, as always, thanks for joining me. Always. 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 Bye-bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs>